This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is May 7th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, I'm Sean Novat, and I was there from 95 to 2000. Can you tell us about any shows or programs that you worked on while you were at Hofstra? Sure, I did. I did many. Um, I started probably doing like a jazz cafe slot um, and worked my way up into um, the top 40 show, which at the time was called Uncharted Territory. I believe it was started by um, another uh, guy named Scott. And uh, we took that show and made it five days a week. And I became the producer of that. Um, And I also worked on the Hofstra morning wake up call. um, And I filled in as needed on a bunch of other shows. Did you work on any public affairs shows or uh, any of the weekend programs? Um, I engineered for a lot of people. I engineered for Basha and the Polka Show and Eileen Cronin and Pat Thompson and the Long Island Show and Tony Jackson. Um, I was never really involved on the air in those shows, but I did a lot of the engineering. Okay. Uh, you mentioned producing the the Top 40 show. Were there other, did you have other titles at the station or positions? Oh, yeah. Um, I was the Jazz Cafe producer first, news director, uh, morning show producer, um, and ultimately I was station manager for two years, 98 and 99, which according to Bruce Avery, the general manager, I was the first person, at least under his reign, to be station manager for two years in a row. Okay. Did you have any uh, on-air nicknames or did you just use your own name? At, at Hofstra, I just used my own name. And later in my career, I did get a nickname. Okay. Did you want to share that? <laughs> sure. They called me Puffy the Producer when I got my first radio job at WBLI. Okay. Sounds like another another interview for another time, but that's pretty good. <laughs> um, so what was it that first brought you to the station? And if you can describe for the people who weren't there, what was it like? Can you describe maybe the office or the studios or if you can remember people that you met the first time you were at Hofstra Radio? Sure. I mean, during my like orientation before I was even a student, um, I ran into Heather Cohen, who I knew from growing up, our families knew each other and she happened to be there the day I went to the tour and that solidified my decision to go to Hofstra. Mm -hmm. But I knew I was going to major in audio radio um, because my high school had a radio station, WPOB Plainview. um, And I got very heavily involved in that. And that's when I decided that radio was what I wanted to do. So um, I looked at schools with radio stations and Hofstra definitely won uh, far and away. Um, the studios, they were brand new at the time in what was called Dempster Hall, which is now Herbert Hall. Um, the studio, what, what they now call, I believe, Studio North was the air studio when I was there um, with uh, state-of-the-art equipment for the mid-90s. Um, and it was, uh, it was an exciting time. The, the, uh, um, Bruce Avery was the general manager, pretty much brand new at the time. I think he was there for a year. Um, Sue Zizza and Michelle Lisi eventually became the operations manager. Um, and it was just a, an absolute fun experience. And it did jump, it, it jump started my radio career without a doubt. You mentioned having a radio station at your high school. Uh, not everybody has that. Um, what can you tell us a little bit about that and what brought you to, uh, WPOB? Sure. I mean, I didn't I didn't know it existed. Um, I still remember in ninth grade, one of my friends was like, hey, there's a radio station in the basement. You should check it out. I go, a radio station? What's that? So uh, we went down. I went down to the basement, uh, you know, like the dungeon of the high school and uh, introduced myself. And I was very shy, but 
they uh you know got me involved and it was you know they allowed us to play whatever music we wanted to obviously within fcc limits and uh and it was just an unbelievable experience i i got to interview the superintendent of the school when i was a senior um uh, we 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 did uh, live sports broadcasts of the you know the high school team it was a great experience and it just solidified my love for for radio and it's what got me started and you're right it's very rare for high schools to have it on long island alone there's only four high schools that have a, a radio station so i just i guess i got lucky going to one of the four hmm so what were your expectations did you know much about wrhu before Going there, I mean, it seems like you were going to Hofstra for radio, but did you know much about how the station worked versus how your high school station worked? No, I knew absolutely nothing. I just knew I wanted to be involved. And uh, I took one of the first training classes that were offered. There wasn't even a handbook. They just gave out handouts every week. This was you know, very early in, uh, in Bruce Avery's uh, career at Hofstra. And I still remember, you know, we had the 10 week training class and I learned things that I didn't know, you know, from the high school radio um, and was able to take it and, and just, you know, move forward with it. It was it was a great experience. And I didn't know what to expect going in other than the fact that I knew I wanted to be involved. The 10 week training course, was that a combination of announcing skills and engineering skills? Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, it's more about, and and they still hold it to this day, um, it's more about FCC rules like obscenity and decency, payola, plugola, um, things like that. And then the station rules of, you know, sign on, sign off, um, when to call, you know, Bruce's phone, the which he called the parachute, you know, mm-hmm. different rules that you needed to know to when you because they were trusting you as, as Bruce would always say, with the keys to the Starship Enterprise. So you know, if you're the only one in the building, you need to know, you know, how to run the whole damn thing. Um, and the training class definitely set you up for that. And in terms of engineering skills, they did what was called tracking hours, where you had to spend a certain number of hours over the course of the 10 weeks in the studio with someone who already worked there to learn how to use all the equipment. And then there was definitely a test at the end to test your engineering skills. Your There was a written test to test your knowledge of all the rules. And then uh, if you wanted to be announcing cleared and combo cleared, the ability to announce and engineer at the same time, you went through those clearances uh, very early on. Do you remember who taught those classes? Was it a student? Was it Bruce? Was it some combination of? Yes, it was definitely a combination. It was group taught by the executive board. I still remember Heather Cohen was the station manager at the time, and she was the lead on it. But Bruce, and at the time, I guess it was Sue Zizza, was the operations manager, um, and the program director and the music director, they all uh, took parts uh, to teach different areas of the class. Do you remember any tips or, or good advice you got, whether it was in tracking or in learning to announce on WRHU that stuck with you, something that was like maybe seemingly small at the time, but then turned out to be really useful? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, because everything that I learned during my time at Hofstra, I've been able to apply to my now 22-year career working in radio. Um little little tips along the way like you know saying the station name ending mic breaks with the name of the station um it's a it was a different time then when it came to ratings and how how arbitron or now nielsen works but um learn just learning every little little step you know how to make the segue sound good on on when you're going from a song to a liner to another song um you know uh how to write a, a good newscast and write around sound bites I have Ed Ingalls to thank for that when he was there. 
Um, but yeah, it, 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 there's no one specific little tip. It's everything combined. It, it gave me a well-rounded view of how real radio stations work and that it's, you know, to this day, I, you know, I, I realized that, you know, they, they weren't fooling around like everything they did there that we tried to do as professionally as possible. So that when we got our first real internship or first real job, like we were very prepared for, for that opportunity. At least I was. Mm-hmm. Um, do you recall your first time getting live on the air at WRHU? Were, were you behind the board? Were you announcing? Uh, what do you recall? I don't recall the very first time I was on the air, but I do recall the first time, um, probably in my senior year, probably in 99, when we moved to the what is now the air studio, Studio South, um, and we went through a huge major renovation, and being the station manager, Bruce let me be the first voice heard from that new studio and there's pictures of it i believe at the station still and i have the audio on a cassette somewhere that i think i converted to digital um that i remember and that's a memory i'll never forget the very first time i cracked the mic i I don't remember that i'm sure it was on the jazz show i'm sure i was nervous as hell but uh i I don't remember that particular moment i wonder if you can uh get a sense of not necessarily that the moment like like you said, it's lost to time, but that the feeling you you get on the air the first time at WPOB, and then your first time on the air at Hofstra Radio, and then you're the first person in the new studio. Do you have a sense of of you know your mindset at, at how was it different in those situations? Uh, you know, I, I guess with each growing moment, I became more self aware and and more confident in how I was on the air, but, you know, to, to work my way to earn the trust of Bruce and the rest of the executive board to be able to have that moment, you know, in the new studio in 99, um, you know, I take that with pride that, you know, that, that was definitely earned. It wasn't just given to me. Um, but you know, each, each first, I guess was, was special. Uh, but you know, the, unfortunately the only one I really remember, you know, vividly is that, that new studio turn on. Hmm. At the end of the 10 week training course, was there an exam? Oh, oh, yes, there was an exam. I don't know. I don't remember my particular exam, but I know from teaching the class in later years that the exam was a hundred questions and you needed to get a 90 to pass. And it, it, was a high standard again because you're being put in charge of an FCC government licensed radio station and you know Bruce wanted to make sure that you knew what you were doing before you were you were put on the air um and while that sounds daunting you know there was half credits and quarter credits and different things on the question so it what didn't necessarily mean you had to get 10 wrong like you can get parts of questions wrong and the goal is to make everyone pass. The goal is not to make everyone fail. And, I, uh, you know, over 90% of every class does eventually pass. And if you fail the first test, you do get a chance to take a second one. But um, it, it's a daunting, daunting test um, with a lot of knowledge that needs to be uh, absorbed. Without giving too much away in case anyone's, you know, listening and preparing for a test, which I'm sure they're not. But <laughs> what what kind of questions were on the test just to make us all feel a little bit nervous as as if we we're preparing to take the exam? We needed to know Brian McKinley's birthday. No, <laughs> um, no, uh, the sign on and sign off procedure, the procedure for sending an emergency alert. Um the what is Bruce's phone number, which is important mm. to know. What was the executive board's beeper number? That's how old this was. Um, you know, uh, what is obscenity? What is indecency? What is payola? What is plugola? 
Um, what are some of the, the positions on the executive board or the administrative board and what do they do? Um, the, all, like everything that you learned was basically asked like the, what they didn't miss anything because they wanted to make sure you knew as much of that as possible. Hmm. So you mentioned a few names, Heather Cohen and Suziza and, and Bruce, who were some other people who were really helpful in your early days? Um, definitely Joel Meyer, who, um, became the operations manager after Michelle, um, he went on to, uh, to some great things as well. Um, Ed Ingalls, I have to thank um, tremendously. Unfortunately, of course, he's no longer with us, but um, he was a constant source of of uh, encouragement and guidance, and you know would never would never be mad at you. And he, if something went wrong, he would uh, you know patch on the back and be like, "We'll get him next time." This is you know this is how to get him next time, and you know, uh, his, his line he always said, which stuck with me is this is your time, meaning, you know, take advantage of the, the opportunity you have, because it's only there for, for, you know, the average student four years, I got a little bit of an extra time because I went part time and you know, didn't have a 4.0 GPA, let's put it that way. But, um, uh, you know, I took advantage of that time. And now in my current role, um, which is basically the Bruce of Nassau Community College, as I'm the director of the radio station over there now, um, I, I take with me things Bruce told me, things Ed told me, and I, I try to pass it on to the students there as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, Ed Ingalls is, is someone that I, I knew just, just a tiny, tiny bit. And, and everything I hear about him sounds like he was just the most warm and encouraging person. Without a doubt, um, he didn't have a mean bone in his body, and he had you know forty years of experience at CBS Radio doing. Obviously, he was his he was a big on sports, um, and I was not a big sports guy. Um, the only sport I really knew was baseball. I couldn't tell you what a touchdown was from a field goal, but the um, uh, but he was able to help us with the news and the delivery. Um, and, and even to some extent, some of the music shows, like he would, he would even pull you aside and be like, you know, you were talking a little fast there. You may want to slow down and enunciate your words. Um, but it was always, always encouraging. Um, and he was there for personal advice too. If you, if, if, you know, you had a problem with schoolwork or something at home, you know, he was almost like a, an, an unpaid therapist. I probably owe him a lot of money in co-pays. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who were some of the student leaders at the time who were helping to run the station when when you were first getting there? Uh, definitely, definitely Heather Cohen was the station manager. Um, I, I want to say then, you know, again, this is um, bringing back some memories. I want to say I think Roman Polanski, I think was his last name, was the program director. Joe Ramore was an engineering guy. Um, these are all very early on names, Christy Briggs. Um, uh, I can, I can go on and on with early names. And then, you know, when I hit the executive board, you know, some of my friends who I'm still friends with to, to this day, Dan Rakowicz, Tracy Scott, uh, Laura Schmaling, who's now Laura Foster. Um, all these, uh, all these people are, are, are lifelong friends, which is uh, something that I, uh, I'm very thankful for. Hmm. When you first got to Hofstra Radio, uh, and Bruce is there, and Sue, and, and, and Ed, about how many students do you think were, were there you know, on a regular basis helping run the station? Because uh, you know, at various times, there's, there's a handful of people, and, and I guess it depends on the time of year as well, you know, during the school year versus summertime. You would have been around during the summertime. So like who, you know, how many people do you think were in the core group? 
the core group was probably 20 people, but um, I, you know, when I started in 95, there was probably 40 or 50 members, student members, you know, not including community volunteers. Um, and it definitely grew over time. By the time I left in 2000, there was probably a hundred, maybe a little over a hundred students. And I know I hear rumors now of upwards of 150 to 200 students are there now, which is great. You know, if, if you have, if there's room for all of them to get involved, the more the merrier, but um, I, I remember it was it was a slow start, and I was lucky enough to come in at the right time. I think because I was able to get my feet wet when it wasn't so busy. I guess you could say. Hmm. Uh, I I like to ask this next question about when you felt comfortable at the station, and and I guess if if we can sort of include your your high school experience because you must have been comfortable being behind a mic and being behind a board from being at WPOB. But uh, I guess, let me ask it this way to, to start the first part. When did you feel comfortable on the air at WRHU? When did you feel like I'm confident I can do this? I know what I'm doing. Um, probably early on, but I can remember when I first did the morning show, which was, if memory serves me right, 1997, um, was when the nerves came back, I guess, because it was my first time doing the morning show. At the time, it was we, Bruce was reformatting the show because before we took it over in 97, it was two guys doing the show five days a week. Um, and I believe it was a paid position. And then it turned into um, some form of management. I forget the exact position I had, whether it was EB or AB, but part of the position meant producing the morning show. Um, and, and hosting it one or two days a week as opposed to five days a week. And um, once uh, once I got my feet wet with that, I felt very comfortable and confident as a broadcaster because there was, you know, talking between records, you're talking for 30, 60, 90 seconds. The morning show was, you know, long talk breaks, a lot of ad-libbing, um, scripting the news, sure, or pulling it off the Associated Press wire, but there was a lot of talking, and that that show probably set me up most for my future. But like the exact moment I felt confident, you're you're probably right. With my high school experience, it wasn't the first time talking in a microphone, so I, I feel like I was probably confident right away. Uh, not to toot my own horn, confidence wasn't the problem. Was I good? No, um, you know nobody's good. That's what the whole point of going to college radio is. Hopefully, by the end, I was good. Um, but, uh, but confident, I feel like I probably had pretty early on. Okay. Uh, the second part of my, my train of thought here is, is getting comfortable, uh, not necessarily with the culture of the radio station, but being there because, you know, once most of us get comfortable, we're there all the time. Right. So you knew Heather, which is, which is nice. And I guess you were a freshman. She was a senior. If I remember you saying correctly, but when did you feel comfortable, hanging out in the station, just, just being in the music office or whatever. Did, was it was it right away? Did it take a little while? Or was there a particular incident where you said, yeah, this is, this is where I'm going to be? I, I don't know of a particular incident, but once I passed the training class, I started making myself known, you know, go hanging out there between classes. You know, my best semester, let's put it this way, my best semester grade-wise you know, class grades was my first semester because I didn't spend a lot of time at the radio station. I didn't feel comfortable <laughs> being uh, in the training class. And I think I got like four A's and a B. 
Um, after that, let's say the A's were, were few and far between because I spent most of my time at the radio station. So like the instant I graduated, I made myself known at the radio station. And that's when I'm like, okay, I've been accepted here. Um, I'm going to be hanging out here between classes. I'm going to be learning from as many people as I can learn from. I'm going to get that first AB position, which I believe was jazz, either news produce, news director or jazz producer. I forget which was first. Um, but I, I worked hard to get that as soon as possible because I knew I was going to work my way up to the station manager role, which I did. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of that. But um, I, I definitely made myself feel comfortable there the instant I was welcomed after the training class in that second semester or even between semesters. I, I love that as a continuity for the history of Hofstra Radio. I just I just did a, about a week or two ago an interview with Sue Ronneberger, who was an engineer at the station in the 1960s. And I've talked to people who were there in the 70s and 80s. And there's I, I think for all of us, there's a moment where we feel comfortable at the station. And then it's like, is class optional today? <laughs> oh, class was optional a lot of days, but that was my rule, not theirs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I still, I still remember to this day when you're, when you're an audio radio major, or I guess anything in communications, they forced you to have a minor. I don't know why, but I chose English because I figured, all right, I can, I I know the language I can, I can do English. Uh, but that was probably a bad idea because then I took a Shakespeare class, which I hated and a Canterbury Tales class, which I hated even more. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going today. And like, I think I got a C and that was like by the skin of my teeth. (laughs) So you weren't working in iambic pentameter into your into your jazz breaks? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and it's sad that I know what you're talking about. But <laughs> well, that, that... Uh, yeah, but the classes were definitely uh, optional, and uh, my grades paid for it. But you know, but you know, I, I have the degree. I did graduate. Sure, it took a little longer than four years, and. You know, looking back, I'm mad at myself about that, but I did get extra time at Hofstra Radio, and and I, I I'm happy about that part. So we're looking at all this with the benefit of hindsight, and you said you made lifelong friendships and contacts that were valuable to you, and you got great advice along. And this is all stuff that we can think of looking back at Hofstra Radio. But I'm going to ask you to try to go back into your shoes when you're. 18 years old or, or so, and you're coming to the radio station for the first time, and either it's the tour or the first classes or just, just the expectation before you're really a member of the station, what did you hope Hofstra Radio would mean to you at that time? To be honest, I guess I just hope that it would give me the tools I needed to be able to do this for a career. I, you know, I, I fell in love with it in high school and I learned or listened, I should say, to the professionals at the time. Elvis and Elliot on Z100 was probably my idols at the time. And I'm like, I want to be them. And then, uh, you know, what Hofstra taught me was there's more to the radio station than the people you hear on the radio. Hmm. So um, it, it opened my eyes to producing and directing and writing and all the other parts. But um what did I what did I hope it would it would be is is I mean everything it was I would hope it would be a place where I can make friends I would hope it would be a place where I learn how to if this was actually going to be an, a viable career choice my parents were wary I mean they're like mm. working on the radio okay it's you know that that's that came out of nowhere because I did it in high school as a as a club they didn't think it was going to be a career 
but it turned into a career and, and I have Hofstra to thank for that. So I, everything I wanted it to be when I was 18, when I took that first tour and I saw how beautiful the studios were and how it was a brand new building at the time. They had just moved there a year earlier, give or take. Um, I'm like, this is where I want to be. And, and, uh, and, and yeah, I, I was very happy. Sean, this was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your stories and your memories, and I'm going to work on some more questions, and hopefully you've got some more stories to share, and we can do this again sometime. Oh, I'm, I would love to do that. Um, in closing, I just really would like to say, first, I'd like to thank you for doing this podcast. I've been checking out the other episodes, and oh, I, cool. think, I think it's a great history of the radio station, so I hope these get saved you know, somewhere in a cloud that never uh, falls apart. But the uh, I also just want to give a, a quick shout out and quick thank you uh, formally to Bruce. Um, we, we, you know, he did announce his retirement this year. Mm-hmm. It, uh, um, I, I have him to thank really for everything that's come my way since Hofstra. And I just wanted to publicly thank him um, for what he did for me and every other student that walked through the door since he got there in, I guess, 94 or so. Um, it, 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 without his guidance and we're, we're still friends to this day, you know, especially since I'm in a similar role uh, across the street at Nassau, um, he helps me from time to time when I have questions. And so the, the learning didn't stop when I graduated and, uh, neither did the friendship. So thank you, Bruce. And, and thank you, Brian. I really do appreciate this opportunity. Thanks, Sean. This was great. Thank you.